long live the free world. That's what I've been saying, but now I've been saying long live the free regulated world. It is a regulated world these days, but probably for wise reasons. I think that we should still be doing everything that we can to stay healthy and well. I think one of the keys to longevity is good hygiene. It is good hygiene. So let's continue to wash our hands, wash our hands like surgeons. Let's uh, continue to spread the gospel and stay the plague. People are not who they say they are. They are who they have always been. That is a quote from Lex Luthor, the show Smallville. People are not who they say they are. They are who they have always been. And this uh, COVID-19 pandemic has really uh, revealed who people have always been. It has truly revealed people who they have always been. Those who have wanted to be spiritual have been spiritual. Those who have wanted to be carnal have been carnal. Those who have been angry are continuing to be angry. Those who are continuing to be at peace are at peace. So just remember this. Jesus taught us you will know men by their fruits. Meaning your reputation does always precede you. And uh, everyone has been watching. Everyone's been looking. And I tell you what, this COVID-19 has revealed a lot of the good. And it's also revealed a lot of the bad. And yes, here and there, a lot of the hideous. Hi, this is Justin Gleason. Welcome to Spirit Signal. Please consider subscribing, giving a great review and rating, and sharing this podcast with your friends. Follow me on Facebook pages, Instagram, and Twitter at Justin C. Gleason. And you can also contact us at spiritsignaljg at gmail.com. The book of Acts, chapter 1, begin reading at verse 15. It says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether the number of names was about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity. Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection, and they proposed too. Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Right now we are in the same place that these, that the early church, the 120 in the upper room, uh, speaking from a, from a calendar point of view, we are in the 10-day gap between the day of Ascension and Pentecost Sunday. 
That's where we're at. Last week on Thursday, it was the day of ascension. This week, we're in the middle of the 10-day gap. This coming Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Those 120 did as the Lord commanded, did as the uh, angel also reaffirmed. It was to go to Jerusalem and tarry, pray, wait for God's power. Stop looking at the sky. Obey the command of the Lord. And being there, Peter had to do something that is difficult on leaders. It is standing up and talking about the obvious. It is standing up and talking about an issue. It is standing up to prevent gossip, to prevent murmuring, talking about something that happened, open it up possibly for questions and comments, and perhaps bring closure and in hopes that nothing will ever, ever like this happen again. Judas left a deadly wound upon the church. He was a betrayer, an enemy within. And you got to think about this. Everything that happened, I'm sure a lot of people were suspicious of each other. Who else is betraying us? Who else is making deals with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Has somebody sold us out? Has somebody revealed our location here in this upper room? Is it for 30 pieces of silver or 40 or 50 or 60 or 120? How, you know, however many could it be? And Peter stands up. He stands up and gives clarity about this situation. And you know what he does? He quotes from the scripture, saying the scripture said this would happen. The scripture already knew what was going on. The prophets already saw this. The psalmist already saw this. And we are living in it right now, fulfilling that scripture, that the Lord, the Messiah, would have to be betrayed. He would be betrayed, but it's not just that. That betrayer would, in fact, fulfill prophecy to the T. The psalmist said, let his dwelling place be desolate, fulfilled. No one would live in it, fulfilled, and let another take his office. That all happened right there in that short amount of time for the early church. This is what the scriptures of God are for. The New Testament says that the scriptures are written for our comfort. They give us our peace of mind. They give us our direction. And that is what Peter did there during those 10 days of prayer, waiting for the promise. It's what he did on the day of Pentecost. It's what he did all throughout his journey. And it's what I like to do, and hopefully you do that. I'm sure your pastor does that as well. Whenever you have a problem, the first place you need to go to is the Bible. The first place you need to go to is the Holy Written Word of God. Because the Bible itself says there's nothing new under the sun. Your problem that you're in right now, somebody had the same problem in the Bible. And there is a solution found in the Bible, what you are to do. To do. And, uh, and I'm sure that'll give you comfort. So search the scriptures. In them you'll find some life. In them you'll find some answers. And that's what Peter did. And that is what gave the church uh, some closure on that situation for that day and that time. But I want to kind of expound on this idea. The psalmist says his dwelling place would de- be desolate. No one would live in it and let another take his place. And uh, after Peter preaches and teaches, a decision was made. They brought forth uh, uh, two men. They brought forth two men who had been a part of the discipleship journey with Jesus for a little over three years, and they said, these two are the people that we nominate. Now let the Holy Ghost, through the casting of lots, ratify it. It was one named Joseph and another named Matthias. And they cast the lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. 
And so this idea today is Judas fell by transgression. The lot fell on Matthias. Judas fell by transgression and the lot fell on Matthias. I think a part of the confusion probably in the early church and the fear and the worry and all of that, really it was getting a taste of just how deceptive the devil really is. It was an idea. It was a opportunity. It was a moment in time for them to really be put to the test. Can you survive the internal attack of the devil? Because they had experienced the outward attack of the devil. Oh, right from the very beginning. After Jesus was baptized, the spirit led him into the wilderness and Satan himself tempted him in the wilderness. And after Jesus uh, overpowered and overcame that temptation, the Bible says that Satan left him for a certain season. And then you see Satan trying to reappear in other moments through demonically possessed people, uh, through people trying to kill him. In Nazareth, they try to throw him over the cliff. Uh, you see it even trying to happen through Peter. Jesus said Satan is trying to sift you as wheat. When Peter was uh, challenging the Lord on what he would uh, fulfill by his death, and Jesus said, uh, you want to challenge me? Get behind me, Satan. You got to be for me. You got to be with me. I'm the leader of this thing. You got to follow me and get into agreement with me. But yeah, Satan tried to appear in all of those in all of those places, but the Lord told him told them, "Don't be afraid of the devils." And you know what? Don't even celebrate it when you cast them out. He said, "It's nothing to celebrate. It's nothing to be proud of yourself about. They're the enemy, and cast them out and let them fall and forget about it and move on. Celebrate salvation." And a part of this mission and a part of this plan. Jesus' 12 apostles, there was one among them by the name of Judas, who was also sent out to heal the sick, who was also sent out to cast out devils, who also went out to preach the kingdom of heaven. Judas was chosen by Jesus. Judas had the power of Jesus. Judas had the opportunity to be used of God, to be named of the apostles. He was called, and even deeper than that, he was chosen. But there is another fine print item that Jesus tells about this man and tells all of the apostles. He says, have I not chosen each of you, but there is one of you who is a devil. I have called and chosen all of you, but there is one among you that is an enemy, who is an adversary, who is the enemy within, who is the enemy within our gates who is an enemy right here among us. You know, after hearing that, you know, the, the apostles just kind of look at each other and not say much. It wasn't until the Last Supper when they all finally started saying, oh, is it I? Is it I? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Why didn't they examine themselves right then and there at the beginning? When Jesus said, one of you is a devil, why didn't they try to seek it out? Why didn't they try to figure out who it was right then and there? Why did they ignore it? I don't really have those answers. But I'll tell you this. At any moment and at any given time, anybody who is chosen, anybody who is called, yes, you can become a devil. You can become a traitor. You can become, do not think for one minute, just because you are chosen, just because you are called, just because you are used of God, that you are invincible to the entering of Satan into your mind and heart to destroy everything that the church is working for. 
Do not think for one minute just because you have an opportunity and you have a position and you have a title and you have status in your local church that you cannot fall, that you cannot be overcome by Satan's lying schemes and his tactics. Oh, no. That's why we've got to examine ourselves daily. We've got to look within us and find out that there be any unclean thing in us. We have got to pray every day. Search us, O God. Search us, O God, if there be any unclean thing in our hearts. Renew a right spirit in us. That's how you stay. That's how you remain. That's how you keep on going. Because let me tell you, you are replaceable. I don't care how good you can sing. I don't care how good you can play. I don't care how good you can preach. If you are called and chosen, believe you me, the devil is trying to attack from the outside. But in this day and this time, the devil is trying to do his best to attack from within. So how did Judas become, go from being becoming chosen and being used of God to a betrayer? It does not just happen overnight. It takes a long time for a called and chosen person of God to become a traitor, to backslide, to leave following Jesus, to making agreements and deals with the devil. Judas, the Bible says, was a thief. He was the keeper of the treasury, the ministry that Jesus and the apostles had going all throughout the land of Israel. Judas was in charge of holding the money. Because people would give offerings to Jesus. People would pay their tithes to Jesus. It says people would minister their substance to Jesus. And he was worthy of it. And the apostles were worthy of it. It is a form of worship. It is a form of giving to God and his servants who preach. This is greatly pleasing to the Lord. But Judas was a thief, according to John chapter 12 and verse number 6. Judas was a thief all throughout his discipleship journey. And these type of scams still go on today. Uh, Several years ago, one of those uh, uh, charities uh, for uh, communities in Africa, they were raising lots and lots of money. Turns out that they collected millions and millions of dollars, took it to Africa. They had meetings with the kings of the tribes and the villages And they said, we're going to give you all of this money, and then you're going to give us 70% of it back. And if you refuse to do that, you get nothing. So it was those type of agreements. That's what Judas was involved in. He claimed to care for the poor. He claimed to care for the needy. He was actually very critical of of, uh, money not being given to the poor, but he didn't care for the poor. It was all for himself. It was all for himself. And uh, keep that in mind with a lot of these charities for the supposed poor and hungry. I remember when I was a kid in grade school, uh, a lot of uh, liberal teachers were telling all of us that there are people who are starving. There are people who are just starving. I I remember sitting in assemblies and and they were up there telling us that everybody was starving. And and I I remember thinking, you know, all of us (laughs) in our classroom, there's big lunch. There's a designated place for all of our lunch boxes. Everybody has lunch. I, we, we could smell down in the cafeteria them cooking up those rectangle-shaped pizzas that were absolutely delicious. And I remember thinking to myself, and I didn't say it, only thought it, because you can't speak out loud, otherwise you look like a hater. But I just kept it to myself, but I thought, everybody's starving. I'm looking around. All of us are being fed. I think that was just a lie propagated by the, by the left. Look around here in America. Nobody is starving. 
everybody is well-fed, and everybody is happy. A lot of things that are going on, Judas was involved in it, people were involved in it back then, and many people are in the world are involved in it. It is thievery being covered up in familiar loving language for giving to the poor. Watch out for that. Look out for that. It is pure evil. It is a form of dark hypocrisy. The mask of theft. The mask of theft. It is always robed in caring for the poor. The poor, the poor, the poor. Now you think about this. The early church taught that the love of money was the root of all evil. Look at one of the places where the early church was judged. Ananias and Sapphira. What was it over? Money. They kept pack a portion of an offering that they were going to give to God. It was hypocrisy. That's why God judged them for it. They were lying to the Holy Ghost. People back then were selling all of their possessions. They were getting rid of all their extra this and extra that. Getting rid of all their property. Getting rid of, they didn't, if they had five houses, they sold four and just kept one. If they had ten boats, they sold nine and kept one. They were getting rid of all of their possessions. And they were giving the sum of that to the apostles, but they kept back part of it as a scam. It was a scam. And God judged them for it. They were committing, in a way, the same sin as Judas. This is how evil and dark this stuff is. But, oh, Judas was called. Oh, he was chosen. But this is the foothold. This was the open door for Satan. It was through his thievery, his love for money. And I tell you where it really, really got deep for Judas is in the days when the Lord was in the house, Simon. And, and actually, I won't go into this, that Simon was in fact Judas's father. Jesus was sitting in the house of Simon. That was Judas' father. And being there in that house, debating and talking with some of his disciples and the other people, Mary walks in and sees that nobody had offered the Lord hospitality in washing his feet. And she takes her alabaster box of spikenard, breaks it open, pours it upon him, washes his feet, weeps over him. This was also prophetic for the burying. We've talked about that. Judas is the one who is critical of this. And he says, why did she waste? Why did she waste this precious ointment, this precious spikenard. It could have been sold for 300 pence. But in all reality, he didn't care about the spikenard. He wanted money for himself. It wasn't about, like he said, this could have been given to the poor. It wasn't about the poor. He was a thief. That right there, I believe in that moment is when Satan said, aha, I can find an enemy within. I've got my spy. I've got my traitor. And that's how he went to work on Judas. It was about two things, theft and being critical of worship. Oh, yeah. Theft and being critical of worship. You know what the Bible says about tithing? It says this in the Old Testament, that if you don't tithe, you are robbing God. You are robbing God. And you may be saying, oh, come on, come on, that's Old Testament. Well, think about this. Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God's what is God's. Ask yourself the question, what is God's? (laughs) 
it's always been 10%. If you're not paying tithe, you're robbing God. You're doing, as it were, the same thievery as Judas himself. You know, it's interesting to me, and I'm not going to call out any names, but I know people out there, churchgoers, that don't pay their tithes, fold their arms up during offering as if Jesus has nothing to do with offering. Oh, think again. Jesus stood right there at the treasury boxes. People walked in and gave their offerings, watching them. And he noticed a little widow woman come in and she gave, and and Jesus commented on her giving. Believe me, the Lord watches during offering time. Never check out during offering time. I know we love to get into worship service. We love the preaching. We love the altar call and the fellowship afterwards. Never forget God moves during offering, and he looks and he observes. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the same people that don't pay tithe and rob God, they're usually the same people that are so critical of worship. They like to make fun of the way people worship. They're critical of the songs They're critical of the soloist. They're critical of all the people around the altar. And they just sit back and criticize as if they're great. They sit back with all of their twisted reasons on how we should be more civil in church. And we should uh, not do this and not do that. And so full of self-righteousness. Can I tell you, it was that attitude that got Judas in trouble. That is the attitude that Satan loves. You know, is that really the message that the, the Bible teaches? Keep. Keep your money. Don't give your money. Yes, keep, keep, keep. Keep it all for yourself. Keep, keep, keep. That's not what God says. God does not love a keeper. He loves a cheerful giver. And some of you don't know the depths of the love of God because you're not giving. You're stealing. You don't know the deep love of God as spoken of in the New Testament that the Lord loves a cheerful giver because you're a thief. And you're covering up your thievery because you care for the poor. You're always complaining, why aren't we doing more for the homeless? Why aren't we doing more for this and this and this? And you're keeping it and you're robbing God and you're stealing it and you're pleasing the devil. So give. Give what God says. Give. Don't criticize somebody else's worship. Don't get involved in that. Don't let Satan have a place inside of your heart. Believe me, it will not end well for you at all. So yeah, at the Last Supper, the disciples are all there. The Lord reveals to them in depth why it's to their advantage that he is going away and why he will suffer, why he will bleed, and why he will die. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me this night. They all start saying, is it I, is it I? He says, it is he who I give this bread to. And he gave it to Judas. And the Bible says, Satan entered him. And the Lord said, what you intend to do, do quickly. What you intend to do, do quickly. I think that is a real picture of the real world right where we are at. If it is in your heart to be a traitor to the truth, to do damage to the church from within. It's time you get out and do it quickly, lest you influence somebody else to be dragged down along with you. Judas then goes to the Pharisees and the Sadducees to betray Jesus, according to Scripture. Zechariah prophesied about this. He said, so they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. 
Judas became the guide to those who would arrest, falsely try, and lead Jesus to his death. He was their guide. You know, this is during Passover week. Thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem during that week. You know, they didn't have hotels back then for thousands and thousands and thousands. So where did people stay? Where did they sleep? <laughs> they stayed outside. Intense. Isn't that something? Anytime Jesus went to Jerusalem, where is he? He's always outside. Even right at his birth, there was no place for him. He has to go out to where the shepherds are, be born in some cave in some manger. And even in his adult years, he's having to sleep up, up on a mountain in the woods. <laughs> Think about that. You know, as the, as, the, as the sun goes down, everybody leaves the city. Jesus quit teaching, quit preaching. Everybody just kind of leaves. You know, thousands of people go out to where they're staying around the mountains and the hillside, uh, out all around the city in their tents. Some didn't have tents. Some just slept right on the ground in the open sky. So the Pharisees and Sadducees couldn't send followers or couldn't send spies to follow Jesus. No, it would look too suspicious. They got to find somebody. They got to find a betrayer, an enemy within. And that is this man, Judas. And just like the prophecy said, 30 pieces of silver, they made an agreement, a pact with Judas for 30 pieces of silver that he would show them where the Lord Jesus was at night because they would never arrest him during the day. They had to do it at night, illegally, at night. And that's what they did. Judas led them to where Jesus was, and he betrayed him. You think about this. The alabaster box was worth 300 pence. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's almost as it were Judas made an agreement for the tithing of the amount of money that he was critical about. You know, this stuff really runs deep. And a lot of it's really twisted, and a lot of it it's hard to get your mind around, but that is what Satan does those confusing thoughts, having hard judgment of what is right and what is wrong. And after they arrested Jesus and they took him away, Judas says, I got to give this money back. <laughs> I can't keep this. I have betrayed innocent blood. I, I don't understand all of that, why he questioned himself and why he thought about those things. I don't know. Maybe Judas thought that Jesus would disappear like he did in times past. There was other times when they tried to take Jesus and kill him. Sometimes they tried to take him and make him a king. And the Bible says he would just disappear and pass through the crowd unseen. Maybe Judas thought that. I don't know. But it was like Satan entered and Judas thought it's okay to betray him. And it's like right after he did it, Satan left and all of a sudden Judas snapped back to reality and he realized, oh my, I have betrayed innocent blood. I, I, I have betrayed a man who is not worthy of it, my Lord and my Savior. He tried to give the money back, but according to law, the priest could not take blood money and use it. They could not do it, so they bought a field. A field in the Aramaic akeldama, which means the field of blood. It was the field that Judas committed suicide in. And this is what Peter talks about to the church. 
he says here that Judas purchased, he purchased a field and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. You know, some people that are critical of the Bible say that this is a contradiction from what Matthew wrote. You know, Matthew 27, it, it says that Judas threw down the 30 pieces of silver and went out and hanged himself. But Peter says that Judas fell headlong. You know, and they say that there's a contradiction in the death of Judas. No, there is no contradiction. But what you have here, what is common throughout the Gospels and even in the Old Testament with comparing uh, the writings of the Kings and the Chronicles, you have the same event but two different viewpoints. And Matthew and Judas have two different viewpoints of the same suicide. Matthew infers that, yes, Judas was death. It was caused by hanging himself. Luke doesn't describe Judas's death, but rather he describes what followed his death. And I know it's gross, but sometimes to bring closure, you got to give the facts, even if it is grotesque. After Judas hung himself, his body hung from that tree in the hot sun for several weeks from the resurrection to the day of ascension, somewhere in there. And what happened is, what scientists say that have, that have uh, taken a look at this, and uh, you can reference, uh, I'm not a doctor, I'm Justin Gleason, okay? You can reference the article, How Did Judas Die? by Dr. Georgia uh, Purdom, uh, AnswersInGenesis.org. And Dr. Purdom says that what you have here is bacterial metabolism that produced excessive gas in Judas's bowels creating extremely high pressure. And uh, Judas hanging from that tree, the tree branch broke. Judas then fell, and his bloated gut blew apart. That's what Peter is talking about here. That's what happened. Judas went insane, went down to Alcadelma, the field of blood. He went absolutely out of his mind, which usually uh, the devil drives people to do. Because of the guilt and the shame, the things he had done, he could not forgive himself, and he saw no hope for his future and hanged himself, and he died by hanging. And then the result of that, because of all of the, the, the uh, bacterial metabolism building inside of him when he fell, he exploded. And Peter there is giving the picture of the result of our betrayer. It's almost as if he is saying, have no fear. Look at the result of the betrayers. Have no fear. Look at what the scripture said would happen, and it happened. We're here right now, and we're ready to pick up from this. And he made it very clear to tell them he died in the field Akadelma. You know what? This is not the first place that this uh, area, this field is mentioned. You know who else talked about Akadelma? The prophets in the Old Testament. It was not called Akeldama back then. You know what it was called? The Valley of Hinnom. It was the place that the people erected an altar and an idol to the pagan demon god Molech, looked like a cow, with a hollowed out furnace in his belly. And it was there that they would take their newborn children and place them in the fire of Moloch, offering their newborn children innocent blood the innocent blood of their children, in hopes that it would please Moloch to bless them with life and longevity, fertility, to bless them with protection from their enemies. They took innocent blood and offered it there in that field. 
That makes sense why Judas would go to that field in a way he is trying to offer his own life for betraying innocent blood. Insanity. Crazy. Absolute lunacy. Not only did the Old Testament prophets talk about this, but also Jesus himself spoke of this location. In your Bible, Jesus references hell. And in a place, he doesn't use the word Hades, but he uses the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna is the Greek transliteration of the Valley of Hemon. Gehenna. And this is where he described hell. Hell was like Gehenna, constantly on fire, constant burning of trash. Because there was all of uh, this uh, trash there, there was constantly worms, constantly maggots. And there were dogs. Dogs back then were not cute little pets that you put sweaters on. Dogs back then were not domesticated. They were wild animals, a very unclean beast. Matter of fact, the Jews would never have a pet inside of their home. They didn't believe that animals were like people. You treated them like animals and you had people uh, like people. So yeah, for all of you that are telling us to go back to Sabbath, you know, trying to resurrect the law, (laughs) if you got pets, you're breaking the law, okay? So if you're going to obey that one portion of the law, you need to obey the whole law. Give me a break. Amen. We are the New Testament church. But yeah, this is this is the picture of Judas. He hanged himself in a place where hundreds of years before that, they offered their children, their innocent children, to their demon god. And Judas is there hanging. This is the same place nearby was a fire, which is probably why the tree branch broke. Who knows? Uh, the, the branch could have broke because of the fire. But this is the same place that Jesus said, this is the picture of hell. And that is the picture of Judas, his fate. He followed and chose Satan, hanged himself. Judas followed Satan, not only just at the betrayal, but for all those years, taking all of that money, being critical of worship, being critical of that, and that was his fate, possessed of Satan himself, going completely insane and checking out of this life when he wanted to. That is where betrayal took him. So what is a spiritual betrayer? It is simply this. It is an enemy within the church. Nobody backslides overnight. It's a slow process. And it starts slowly through sexual sins. It starts slowly through envy and strife. It starts slowly through offense, creeping up on you, having tons of unforgiveness having tons of selfishness, having tons of rage and anger built up inside. And when the moment comes and the moment is right, a stressful situation such as COVID-19, and all of a sudden you're met with an opportunity, do I do right and do I do wrong? And because of all the sin that you let build up in your life, you open a door for the devil to move. Because Satan wants to do everything he can to bring down the church. A lot of times these tacks from without, they don't work. But the attack from within is the greatest attack. And Satan is doing anything he can to sift church members as wheat, like he did with Peter but failed, but succeeded through Judas. I'll tell you what. I started uh, my my, uh, ministry after Bible college in the year 2005. 
The years two, if we were honest in the apostolic movement, the years 2013, or excuse me, the years uh, 2006 to 2013 ish, that's kind of when I mark it, the timetable. Those were some dark years among us. It was definitely a time when everything that could have been shaken was shaken. And there was a movement, and a lot of you probably don't even know about it because the movement's pretty much died died off. It's, it's kind of uh, come to nothing, which we all predicted it would. But it was a movement called the Emerging Church. It was a movement that said it, it, it had more questions, question marks, than it did periods. It was really a hippie movement where it was cool to search for God, but not cool to find God. And you know what's funny about all those emergent guys that were that raised up traders within the apostolic church. You know what they were known for? Two things. Now, and it wasn't their weird hair and their weird, stupid social media posts and all the crazy things they did to attract a following in church. But you know what they were preaching? Give to the poor. Help out homeless people. Okay, there is no sin in in helping out those who are down on their luck. Okay? But the Bible teaches that if you don't work, you don't eat. That's what Paul said. New Testament. It also says in the Old Testament in Proverbs that a lazy man is like a thorn bush. You get around it, you're going to get poked. Okay? The Bible says a lazy man doesn't eat. So my question back then was a lot of the... Now, there are, there's a difference between, I guess, being homeless and being a bum. Okay, there is a difference. People who are homeless, they get down on their luck. They get the rug pulled out from underneath them. That can happen to anybody. And you know what? I think it's a great thing when you reach out and help somebody like that. And we got systems within our government and systems within the church to help people get back on their feet. We've got the best country for that. But then you have bums. These are people that don't work, don't want to work. They love to be stoned. They love to be high. They love to be filthy. They love to uh, uh, do horrible things in the street. And maybe some of you are saying, oh, you know what? They have such a right to that street. Let me ask you this. Who paid for that street? Who paid for that sidewalk? Who paid for that door entrance at that hotel? Okay, give me a break. But a lot of these emergent people were just preaching, give to the bums, give to the bums. And they were collecting all kinds of monies for their charities. And they were taking a lot of that money and starting their own emergent churches. And they were preaching against everything that the apostolic church stood for. So you think about this. They were preaching, give to the poor, raising money to start their own churches. What does that sound a lot to you like? It sounds to me a lot like Judas. The emergent church, they were thieves, and within them was the root of evil. And you know what else these emergent dunces were known for? Criticizing worship. I watched it at so many youth events. Anytime the youth wanted to get excited about the move of God, they would shut it down. They would play some song that had nothing to do with God. They would tell some story that had nothing to do with God. They shut down praise and worship. They would shut down tongues and interpretation. They would shut down the miraculous. They would shut down anything. They didn't want people receiving the Holy Ghost with the sign of speaking in other tongues. They didn't want people running to God confessing their sins. Oh, no. They wanted you to be confused about everything that you knew and everything that you were taught, all in the name of helping the bums, giving them money to start their failed emergent churches. And a lot of them did start those churches built 
on the money of apostolics. And you know what? Now they have no worship. It's just a game and just a show. Oh, yeah, it looks nice. Oh, yeah, it looks friendly. Yeah, it looks good, sounds good, smells good. They've got great leadership. But you know what they were? Enemies within. Enemies within. And a lot of them, their betrayal, it didn't just happen overnight. Oh, no. It had been going on for a long time. All their little secret meetings. Doing this, doing that, planning this. And one of them, when he started his church, his main slogan was, I'm now authentic, and fake is over. You know what that tells me? The entire time he was being a hypocrite in the apostolic church, he's admitting he was fake. It was all fake. And you know what? I knew it. I opened up my mouth about it a little bit, and I got heavily criticized. So I said, okay, I'll just keep my mouth shut and let it all unfold. You know, I don't wish any ill will upon anybody. I think as Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. Get out of here. And I'm glad the emergent guys left. You know what? And God bless them. I wish them well. But all of these things that I'm talking about, what I'm trying to make a point to, is that what happened back then in the Bible with Judas, what happened back in the early 2000s, what's happening right now is the rising up again of betrayers and enemies within the church. I don't want to be that way. When you betray something that is special, it will drive you insane. When the devil has had his way with you and he leaves, it will leave you with a crazy mind. You know, and I'm looking at the world right now, and you know what this world right now reminds me a lot of? Gotham. Yeah, the fictional city. Gotham is the place where the criminally insane take over a city. It's as if right now, in our government, in our media, in various pockets of the church, the insane are having a voice. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap and the temptation to start letting those who are unwise and the insane start treating them as if they are better than normal. And when I mean insane, I'm not talking about those who are mentally ill and those who have mental struggles. I'm talking about those who are critical of truth, critical of the practices of the apostolic church. Let me tell you something. Listen to me. This is important. Right now is a precious time and a good time. The gap between the, the, uh, the, the resurrection to the ascension to Pentecost Sunday. It is a special time. It is a beautiful time. God fulfilled and did amazing things. But I have observed this through the years, through my youth pastorship and now as an associate pastor, and in just connected to, to the church world all across America. Anybody can backslide at any moment. Anybody can leave at any moment. But there is just something about this season and time between the resurrection and Pentecost. If somebody's going to backslide, it's usually in this time. Oh, yeah. Think about that. Think about people who have backslidden. When they walk out, it is usually right around this time. It's what happened in the New Testament. Many forsook and fled from the Lord. Paul said at one time there were 500 that saw the Lord alive. Well, where's, where were all those 500 on the day of Pentecost? All dwindled down to 120. Many of them left. Many of them gave up. Many of them had doubt. 
and they walked out. And all that was left from thousands and thousands and thousands of followers to Jesus to 120. Why? This is the season of shaking. This is the season that if you've got betrayal in your heart, you'll walk out. This is the season that if you've got love for the world, you'll walk out of the church and you'll follow the world. I've seen it. This is the year of graduation. This is when seniors turn 18 and graduate. This is their year and their time of freedom. And they walk away from God. It goes back to what Lex Luthor said on Smallville. Nobody is who they say they are. They are who they have always been. I saw this in Bible college. People everybody thought were going to be an amazing pastor. People thought everybody, that these girls that were going to be amazing pastor's wife, they leave Bible college, and then boom, before Pentecost Sunday even happens, they're backslidden. They're gone. Did this stuff happen overnight? No. It all happened through small little things. Stealing here and there. Being critical here and there. Doing this here and there. And Satan got the foothold. What happened with Judas was a blow to the church. A horrible wound. There is no sadder feeling than feeling betrayed. When a friend of yours joins the side of your enemy and brings you down. A horrible feeling. But Peter stood up and said this had to happen. And everything's going to be okay. Because the Bible said... That person has got to be replaced. And the other eleven looked around and said, there's two people here that have been with us since the beginning. Let's bring them out front and cast lots. And the reason for this is they had Bible for this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says, when the lot is cast, the lot is cast, but every decision comes from the Lord. Psalm, or Proverbs 18 and 18, casting lots causes contention to cease, and it keeps the mighty apart. You know what they would do is either they would take a stone or a stick or something and they would mark it, throw it up in the air. The marking would be yes, the side that wasn't marked would be no. And whatever side that stone landed on or that stick landed on, that's the decision they would make. They wouldn't leave it up to the opinions of men, but they would leave it up to the lot. It's kind of like us flipping a coin. They didn't want there to be any strife between uh, Justice and Matthias. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the apostles. I put this question out. Satan entered Judas. How did that even happen? Wasn't Judas a disciple? Didn't Judas have a calling, a title, position? How did the early church even process the betrayal? And we got a lot of great comments from people. And it looks like we're all on the same page. Jordan Wyatt says, positions are not exemptions. Those who are called are called to a higher standard. David Peters says Judas had the experience of Jesus without the relationship with him. Amanda Frank says none of us have made it till we are all on streets of gold, and this can happen to any of us. Chris Frank says Joshua on his deathbed, if you will, uttered one of the most well-known verses. Even in his ripe old age, he still understood the power of your will, your choice, everything was a choice. The Sapita family, sorry if I mispronounced that, they said that Bishop Mullins once leaned over to me and said, Judas was the only disciple that never accepted the call of God. 
You can accept a calling but never live it. You can be used but never receive the anointing. You can have the same environment that everyone else had, have the same opportunities that everyone else had, but if you never answer the call and submit to authority, it won't work out. Nathan and Melody said, did he have a calling? Well, yes, he did. He was called, he was chosen. He was, and they continue to say, he was already dishonest and corrupt about money. Judas was offended and got called out in front of his peers. I believe he was jealous, wanting recognition. Brother Kleinens taught years ago about how anger and the spirit of offense is an invite to demonic activity. Wow, very true. That was all Facebook. On over to Instagram. Dgrooms1, he said his greed took his eyes off Jesus. That's very true. D. Ray Waddles, great podcaster. Uh, you need to check out Darren Waddles' podcast, uh, Up on the Mount, Up on the Mountaintop. I can't, I, I, I forget what it is. It's got a cool graphic. It's green. It's got a mountain. Opens up with the sound of an eagle. Great podcast. Check it out. Darren says, Judas had a destiny. However, it was his choice on how he dealt with his sin. That speaks volume to us. He allowed the love of money to consume him and denied repentance in his heart. Imagine if he had repented and sought forgiveness after his betrayal. We might not look down at him. Sister Becca Johnson. Hello, Sister Johnson. Maybe it was that, she says, maybe it was that God already knew the intentions of his heart when he asked to be a follower. Judas, in my eyes, is someone that wasn't fully sold out, but yet he wanted the overflow of blessings of the great teachers and miracles and teachings. Some people in our churches are bystanders and love and love the feel-good moments, but they want things their way in the end. This is Judas to me. That is profound. Natalie Huckabee. Hello, Sister Huckabee. Judas was critical when expensive gifts were lavished on Jesus in adoration. As long as he could benefit in man's eyes, Judas was accommodating, but when Jesus would receive all of the glory and worship... And it would cost them, he criticized. Mm. Steffi Rom. Steffi Rom. I think that's Stephanie Romero. Hello. Satan most likely entered through a small foothold. Judas allowed to be open. This is why we have to be obedient, even in the small details. Yes. And Gab's bow. I think that's uh, Gabby Bowman. She says the early church process the betrayal and acknowledging that Judas fulfilled scriptures. Then he replaced him so that there would still be 12 witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes. Wow. I think we're all on the same page and we all understand this. How was Judas called and chosen but still a betrayer? Yeah. So maybe right now, maybe one of your friends has walked out Maybe somebody that you care about has walked away and is trying to pull others out of the church with them. Mark it down. Don't be too shocked. All of these things didn't just happen overnight. It's been going on a long time. So what do we do with it? You know what we do? We pray. We seek the Lord. We seek the scriptures. We find what the Spirit is saying and what the Bible is saying to be our guiding light. And then the second thing you do is wait. Who knows? Maybe whatever anointing and power they had 
is now about to fall on you, and you will replace them. You know what? The Holy Ghost has fallen upon this generation. May the true chosen be numbered with this ministry. Judas hung from a tree, fell. All of the bacteria, all of the gases in his gut blew him wide open. That's a picture of what hell is going to be like in eternity. It's discouraging. It's saddening. But those of us that understand these things got to stand up and talk about it. They got to stand up and talk about it. Bring closure to it and watch the power come from heaven and fill the room. Giving us callings, giving us ministries, giving us a new chance to keep going with the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. This is Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason. I love you. I really do. But to bring closure, we got to talk about things like this. I wish you a very, very happy Pentecost Sunday. God's going to do great things. All the betrayers fall by transgression. But those of us who stayed faithful in the beginning, the lot of the Holy Ghost is going to fall on us to be chosen, to be numbered to take part in the ministry. In Jesus' name. 